Um, I have a bit of a lengthy passage to read to you. It's Genesis 24, um, verse 34 through the end of the chapter. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and will prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, for my clan, and for my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me have a drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm, on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he said to the men who were with him, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel 
and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, that poor lady, she got the wrong text. We're sitting here just bearing for minutes and minutes that she's reading the wrong passage. I told you, Bethany, Matthew 24. No, uh, that was the right passage. And I know it's pretty customary on Christmas Eve or Christmas to preach on a Christmas-specific passage. So some of you are scratching your head like, Bro, this is my first time in church in years. You're going to talk to me about Isaac and Rebecca. What's going on? Well, at All People's Church, we preach through books of the Bible. And we are very committed to that. Because my temptation, and likely your temptation, is to go to the Bible and say, Bible, tell me what I want to hear. I set the agenda, and I want to find something that will prove to tell me what I want to hear. But rather, we have slowly learned to submit to God's Word and say, God's Word... Tell us what is important. Tell us what we ought to know. And so that has been our pattern since we started this church at All Peoples, to preach through the Bible. And we're going to do that this morning on Christmas Eve in a very strange, unlikely passage, probably the strangest Christmas Eve sermon you will ever hear. And to add to the strangeness, we have the great church swap. I say this every year on Christmas Eve. A large portion of our members are visiting family churches, and then a bunch of you I've never seen before. So welcome. So that changes the dynamics. Also, we canceled some of the children's classes, as you can hear. <laughs> and if you need help, that side room over there has tables. There's kids' activities in the back. You can color and draw, and there will be a speaker on, should be, that you can listen to the sermon if your children get restless, which makes sense um, as we're talking about things that probably they don't understand yet. So you're welcome to use that corner as well. Now, let me speak a little bit more about why this passage this morning. I actually originally begged the pastors when I realized this was our text, please let me preach on another text. Let's push this back. But as always happens, whenever I open the Bible and I'm like, oh dang, Genesis 24 is today's text, I'm initially hesitant to say what is relevant here for my people and these visitors. But as I study it time and time again, God shows me that there are glories and treasures here for you and me. So I'm really excited about that. We often ask things like, why, how is the Bible relevant to everyday life? And for those of you who have been journeying through the book of Genesis with us, last week we see the death of Sarah. And this week we read about and learn about an engagement and a wedding. And the Bible is absolutely relevant and keys on to the, all the realities that you and I face. The sorrows of this life and the, the great joys of this life. Christmas is a really complicated holiday. We hear songs like, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and some of you are like, bah humbug. No, it isn't. It's the worst time of the year. It reminds you of great trauma of the past, the great unmet longings of your heart. We feel very acutely in Christmas that the world is not as it ought to be, and simultaneously there's glimpses and glimmers of hope of what the world could be. 
And Christmas reminds us that. And this passage actually reminds us that. So this passage has nothing to do with Christmas, and yet everything to do with Christmas. Because if this story, historical story, doesn't happen, then Jesus never comes. Because we're learning about his great ancestors. Another reason why we preach through the whole Bible is to remind you that all of this book points to Jesus. Every book points to Jesus. This is a historical story. This actually happened, Rebecca and Isaac and Eliezer, as we're going to learn. But yet, all of history echoes and points towards greater realities. There are shadows, but the substance is to come. And as we read and as we learn, we're going to see glimmers and pictures of Jesus throughout this whole story. And this morning, specifically, specifically we're going to learn this, see this beautiful picture of a father sending a servant to rescue or to bring and win and woo a bride for his beloved son. Now, let me make a comment on that, because in the Bible, there are lots of different ways that God describes the way he relates to his people. There are many different ways, like creator and creature, or king and subject, lord, servant, father, son, friend to friend, bridegroom to bride. All of these relationships have earthly counterparts. And if you have lived longer than a, a year, you know how broken these earthly counterparts are. But if you could imagine what the most perfect father would be like, what everything you hoped your father would be but wasn't, or everything you hoped your spouse would be but is not, you are beginning to get a glimpse of what God is like and what he wants to be to you. And we get in danger if you take one of those relationships of God and highlight them as the only relationship with God. So if you only know God as a king, then you're going to have a very distorted, unhealthy view of God. And if you only understand him as a bridegroom, you're only going to have a distorted view of God. You need to see God in all the ways he relates with his people. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on this idea of bridegroom and bride. A very neglected one. And let me just be clear, there's nothing sensual about this, but rather God is helping us to understand the kind of affection and devotion he has for his people. An undying love and commitment for his people. And what he wants from his people back to himself. This morning, we're going to explore how God pursues his bride through the story of Isaac and Rebekah. And this is not an allegory, but it's close to one. There are a number of characters here that point to greater realities. Let me introduce the characters. So, number one, it's going to be on the screen. Abraham points or reminds us to a heavenly father who wants a bride for his son. Isaac points to the son of God, Jesus. Eliezer is like the Holy Spirit and the church, speaking the wonders of the son wooing a bride for his master. And finally, Rebecca is like God's people, the church. Now, just let me be clear. Rebecca is a historical character. Isaac's a real person. All these people are real, but they're all pointing to something greater. And so we're going to take the text as it is, the story as it is, but also see glimpses throughout the story of what they point to, a greater reality. One final note, a few more actually. If you're visiting, thank you for being here. I know how nerve-wracking it is to go to a place 
that you have never been before, and we got all these rituals, and like kids are singing, and we got candles, like what is going on? Thank you for being here. That is really courageous of you. Maybe you came because you're interested, or maybe you were dragged by a loved one. Regardless of why you're here, we're really glad you're here. We'd love to get to know you and talk to you more and pray with you even. There are kids' activities in the back table, like I said. And one final word. This is the longest chapter in Genesis. That's why Bethany didn't read the whole thing. And because we don't have all day, I'm going to be going in and out of paraphrasing the story and making comments. And I'm not going to be able to go as deep into Genesis 24 as I'd like to. Because it's Christmas Eve too. So, just want to set your expectations there. Now let's finally get to the historical account. Uh, if you have a Bible, feel free to read along as I'm going to highlight certain passages. There are little Bibles in front of you. And you can grab those. It's the first book of the Bible if you're not familiar with the Bible. But they're also going to be on the screen too. Genesis 24.1 is the first verse. Now Abraham was old. Well, advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Now, let me ground us into historical context. This is about 1,800 years before Christ. Okay, about 1,800 years before Christ, and where, where is modern um, Israel and Palestine? So that, that's kind of orient your place in the world and the time. Okay, this is historical events. If you're not familiar with Abraham... God chose Abraham to be the father of the, the family line that would ultimately produce healing and restoration and hope to the whole world of all peoples. So it was never meant to stay in Israel, but actually expand out this peace and this good news to all worlds. And we see that here, right? I come from a South Korean descent. We have Russians here and we have all kinds of people here that is a it is the end of this message moving on and on. What, what is this message? And that, that, that's that God would bless uniquely Abraham and his family so that they would have this loving, intimate relationship with God. And in turn, that would overflow into the way they treat each other and their neighbor and the foreigner. And then it would give a picture of what God is like. And so the blessing to Abraham and his people were never meant to be hogged with his family line, but actually to be generously shared, just like Christmas. So that's Abraham's calling. And all those who are putting their trust in Christ, the followers of God, are actually, that is your calling too. God is called to bless you so you could be a blessing to all peoples. But Abraham is getting on in years. He's very, very old. And he needs to pass down the blessing and purpose through his son. So as customary in his time, very strange for our time, he wants to find a suitable bride for his son. And like God the Father, he wants to find the best for his son. So look at verse 2 with me. Would you read this out loud? And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. According to Genesis 15, this is likely Eliezer. For some reason, Moses doesn't write his name here, but it's most likely Eliezer. And what is so amazing about Eliezer, I wish I had a whole sermon I could just focus on Eliezer because I want to be like Eliezer. He's incredible. Because remember, Eliezer, before Isaac was born, was, second in was first in line so that if Abraham died, he would inherit all the blessings. And yet, Eliezer has not a sniff of bitterness. Bitter, bitterness or resentment. 
He's happy to serve Abraham and Isaac. He's happy to advocate for Isaac. I want to be like Eliezer. He's incredible. And what we'll see throughout the text is that Eliezer is passionate about his work. He's excellent about serving. And even though he gets zero inheritance, he's happy to serve. And I want to be like him. So Abraham calls his most trusted servant to him and commissions him to get a bride for Isaac. However, he gives him two important stipulations. Number one, for many reasons, he has to go find a bride in his home country. So remember, Abraham was called out of Ur, out of a certain area, and now he has to go back there to get a bride. And the second question, the one that's probably more perplexing to all of us, is why did not Isaac go himself? Bro, that's weird. Why are you sending, that's like, hey, uh, you know, like in middle school or something like that, hey, so-and-so likes you, do you like them, right? Like, what's going on here? And yet, what is probably the case is that Abraham's call and commission from God is that he would establish his kingdom and his ways in Canaan and that would give a picture to the world what God is like and Abraham is probably concerned that if Isaac goes to find his bride that he be tempted to stay there and not come back and inherit the land that God called him to so that's my best guess of those stipulations so he sends the servant verse 10 then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now, the city of Nahor would be about 500 miles, 500 miles from where he was. So, imagine you get a bunch of camels, and you travel past Chicago, past Peoria, and to St. Louis on camelback. So we're talking like a month or so of travel, a pretty large caravan. And so he's going to a faraway land, a foreign land, maybe a hostile land, to win a bride for his master. And this reminds us of what a great, 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 great descendant of Abraham and Isaac would actually do. The father did not just send a servant, but he sends his one and only son, Christmas begins the great journey for Christ to leave his father's country to pursue his people in a foreign land. And the journey between heaven and earth could not be longer or wider or more different. Leaving the perfections of heaven to enter into this broken world. But Jesus endures it all to pursue his bride. Now we're going to go see God's, we're going to see God's hand leading a blessing through Eliezer's prayer. It's been about a month and the scene now jumps to the city of Nahor. Okay, look at verse 11. So he made the camels, you can't read this. Okay, he made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening and women were coming out to draw water. Oh, Lord God of my master, Abraham, he prayed. Please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside the spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master, Later on, if you see verse 45, we see that 
Eliezer is actually not even praying audibly, but praying in his heart, which is going to be very important to note in a minute. But what is interesting is that Eliezer asked for a unique kind of miracle. A miracle of character. He, he wants a sign, but wants a sign to mark a bride for Isaac that would be unlike any other. Not in looks, not in anything else, but actually in character. Because what he's asking for her is absolutely miraculous and would be one in a million for that to happen. So look at verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water on her shoulder. Notice that Rebekah is showing up before he even finishes praying in his heart. So what does that tell you? That before a word is even on your lips, God knows it, and often he's already working before you even pray. That's good news. That's good news for those of you who trust in God, that he knows your every need and knows even what you will say before you say it, and he's already working. You do not have to be crippled by, crippled by anxiety. We have a God who knows your needs and wants to provide them. So before he's even finished praying, Rebecca rolls up. And now look at verse 16. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. I mean, blessing upon blessing. The servant didn't even ask, but she is actually good looking. And she is single. And what is amazing is she finishes getting the water for her family. And then Eliezer runs up to her and asks for a drink of water. And you can just imagine this. This is the desert. She's, she's been walking for a while probably. And she got her water and she's about to go on her way. And this random stranger rolls up to her and is like, hey, can I get a drink of water? And I think some of you, maybe many of you would... Offer the person a drink. I mean, it's just, it's just some water. I'll just go again. But she goes to an insane step of generosity and kindness. She says, yes, I'll give you a drink, Mr. Stranger. And although this is going to inconvenience me, she doesn't say this, I'm going to now give your camels a drink. Now, camels, if you've ever been around one, have large humps. And they carry lots of water in them. So they can travel across the desert. The average camel can drink about 25 gallons of water. There's how many camels? Do we know at this point? Ten. Ten camels. Do the math there. An average uh, size of an ancient jug would hold about three gallons. And so we're talking about 250 gallons. Now we don't know if she would give them enough water for all of them to get their fill. But what you can imagine is Eliezer is just sitting on the side while this stranger woman, Rebecca, is huffing it back and forth, okay? So she's obviously fit, okay? She's fit, she's strong, she's healthy, and she's just getting this water over and over again. I mean, where are these women, right? Just fit, character, beautiful, single, yeah? You know, and so this is Rebecca. And he's sitting there marveling because, I mean, it's one thing to offer that. It's another thing to carry through after another hour or so. Just sweating. You know, she's like, I have places to go. I'm sorry, I can't do this. I, I said I would do it. I can't do it. But she does. She finishes the whole, whole task. And he sits back and marvels. 
Look at verse 22. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrist. Whose daughter are you, he asked. And please tell me, would you, your father have any room to put us up for the night? I mean, he's asking for more now. I am the daughter of Bethel. She replied, the grandparent, my grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. Who, who's Nahor? He's the brother of who? Abraham. Man, things can't get better. I mean, answered prayer after answered prayer. Nahor, Nahor is Abraham's brother. So the servant's wildest dreams are being answered. She is a distant cousin. She's strange for us, but fine then. Genetics have not been eroded as much then. And then God forbids that in the future. But anyway, she's not a Canaanite. She's the same tribe. And she is available. She's good looking. And she's a woman of unusual character. And we have many of those in our church. And so I'm so grateful for how amazing and godly so many of the women in our church are. Um, Verse 26, the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. He said, the Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. He recognizes God's providential hand leading him up to that point. And actually, there's another, later on, what Bethany read is that the angel of the Lord went ahead and was blessing this whole trip. He knows that this is no coincidence. It's possible that Rebecca had heard of Abraham's name, this crazy old grandpa, uncle, great uncle, who like left the family years ago, like 100 years ago, and like is now a king in another land 500 year, uh, miles away, but we don't know. But she hears about the greatness of Abraham and Isaac, and so she runs and tells her family about this guy. And I'm going to kind of skip, but Eliezer goes to his family, her family, and tells the wonders of his trip and the wonders of his master, wonders of Isaac and all that God had blessed them to be and blessed them to do. And it reminds us of what Christians ought to be. Christians ought to be like Eliezer, telling all peoples the wonders of our master and what he is and what he is towards you and what he wants to do through you and for you. But let's be clear, Rebecca had agency in this as well. Indeed, she has to have agency because this is really important. Look at verse 57. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and she said to her, They said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. The enormity of Rebecca's decision is hard to fathom. She's leaving everything she knows to journey to a land she's never been, to be wed to a man she didn't even know existed a few hours ago. In many ways, she's following the footsteps of who? Who did this many years ago? Abraham. She's like the female Abraham leaving her father's family in faith, trusting God to be joined and called to a greater mission beyond her family, greater than herself. And that's the same question that goes for everyone here. Eliezer represents and points to the Holy Spirit and the church, and they ask us all, will you go with this man? In other words, will you leave the comforts of what you know to to be joined to Christ, to know Christ, who loves you more than you know? And this invitation is not just for someone from the right family line, but for all people without distinction. 
No matter your past, no matter your presence, that invitation to come know Christ, to be with him forever is for every single person here. Now back to this text. It seems like Rebecca and her family are aware aware that this is not just some ordinary arranged marriage. Something miraculous, unusual, world-changing is happening here. Look at verse 40, 60. Would you read this? And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. For those who have been going through this series on Genesis, we've preached about 40 sermons on it. What does it sound like? Who, who got a similar blessing like that? Abraham. Oh, let me show you. Uh, Genesis chapter 22. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in you... Your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And now their blessing over her is a little different. They're missing some important elements, like a really important one. Like you are blessed to be a what? A blessing. Right? They're, they're, they're not followers of Yahweh. They're not followers of God at this point. Likely, and we see later on in Jacob's life, Laban shows up again. He's, 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 he's very confused. But what we see is that they understand that this is no unique, uh, this is no ordinary marriage. That this marriage will birth a child, that will birth a child, that will birth a whole nation. And this nation will actually bring blessing and shalom and reverse the curse into all the world. And that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All the forces of evil that try to destroy you and me will not prevail against this promised blessing. So Rebecca travels back with this crew, 500 plus miles. And I can imagine Eliezer's prepping her, telling more about the history of their people, telling her about Isaac and what he is like, and prepping her to assume the role and take over what Sarah was so that they can continue this promised blessing to redeem the whole world. And and likewise, listen, the Holy Spirit is doing that for God's people telling of the wonders of Christ to our hearts, getting us ready to finally see Jesus face to face, preparing us for that day. And as history goes, Isaac loves her deeply, and they continue the promised line and plan, and likewise, Jesus loves you deeply and wants you to continue that same rescue plan through you. Now, next week... Pastor Ross is going to finish this series in Genesis. We're going to take a break, and we're going to do a series on knowing God. What is God like? And if you're a visitor, we welcome you to, to come learn. What is God not like? Not, not what the world says he's like, or not what your mama or daddy says he's like, but what does the Bible actually say God is like and how you can know him and encounter him and walk with him? So that's going to happen, and then we're going to jump into a series on 1 Corinthians. So let me, let me say this. What does this all have to do with Christmas again? Let me land the plane. Well, we already know that in chapter 22, Isaac points to Christ. Isaac was the promised beloved son who was prophesied and waited for for many decades. But likewise, Jesus is the promised beloved son who was prophesied and waited for generations. Isaac was born under miraculous circumstances with 100-year-old parents. Likewise, 
But very differently, Jesus was miraculously conceived, born of a virgin. The servant, Eliezer, goes ahead to search out a bride for Isaac in a distant land. Likewise, on Christmas, it marks the beginning when the Son of God is born in flesh to seek out a people for himself. As we saw in Genesis 22, Isaac was almost sacrificed, but at the last moment, God provided a substitute lamb. Ram, actually, for Isaac. So he didn't have to die. But differently, Jesus, the beloved Son of God, would be offered as that substitutionary sacrifice, as that prophesied lamb for people like you and people like me. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why would Jesus have to do such a thing? Why couldn't he just wave his hand and say, all is well, I am loving and forgiving, aren't I not? Well, here's the reality here. This is where I really want to apply this to you. Every single one of us here have fallen short. If you're honest with yourself, I've fallen short, you've fallen short. None of us have lived as we ought to have lived. All of us have been selfish. None of us have full trust, fully trusted and loved God as we ought to. We have not loved others as we ought to. And the consequence of that, believe it or not, is separation from God forever. Because God, being pure and good, cannot dwell with people like you and me. And that is the great quandary. That's the great problem in the universe. Greater than the problems of war and cancer and death all around us. The problem is that man, the created being, is estranged from their creator and needs something to happen. And God must execute his justice because he's a God of justice. And yet, as you may have heard, God is a God of love. The fact that you know such a thing as love, love for a child, love for a spouse, love for somebody, is because it actually comes from the source of love, God himself. And because he is love, he desires to show mercy. But God cannot just wave his hand and forgive all, for that wouldn't be just, would it? Would a just and loving judge just wave his hand and let people go free? So God makes a plan that begins through Abraham and all the way down to the birth of his son to send his only son born of a man and live under the same oppression that you and I live under, the same curse and the brokenness that you and I live under. And yet, unlike us, Jesus never sinned. Jesus always treated people as he ought to. In thought, in deed, Jesus was not like us. Jesus lived the life you and I ought to have lived. And he suffered like you and I suffered indeed actually more than we have ever suffered. Because many of us have suffered over stupid things that we have done. Jesus never suffered for the things he had done. He suffered for the things we had done. And Jesus willingly offered his life for you and me. But in this case, the father does not provide another substitute like Isaac. Because Jesus is the great promise substitute. And because Jesus was sinless, he was worthy to die for you and me. Because if he had sinned, if he was imperfect, who would he be dying for? Himself. He would be suffering for the punishment he deserves. But because he was sinless, he was worthy to be a substitute for you and for me. To die in our place. To die for our debts and our sins. And the great news is that Jesus did not say dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. He conquered death so that all of you here and all and me who trust in Christ, we get his life accredited to us like we live like Jesus lived. He dies and erases all of our debt as if we never done that. So 
If you trust in Christ, let me make it very clear, you will be treated as if you always live perfectly. And you will be lavish with love that you can only dare dream. And you will be restored into a right living relationship with the creator that you and I and everyone in the world are estranged from. That will be brought together. You will be adopted into his family as a beloved child. You will be spiritually married to Jesus, the most devoted, affectionate spouse. And when Jesus comes back to make all things new, you will be raised with him and reign on this restored, renewed earth forever. That's, that's the great news. And that's what Christmas ultimately points to. The birth of Jesus points to the beginning of the end of all, all woes and all ills. So on this Christmas Eve, I have a question for you, for our many visitors and people who have been with us many times. Would you be reconciled to your creator God by accepting his son? Accept the son's sacrifice on your behalf and give him your absolute undying allegiance. On this Christmas Eve, receive the greatest gift. The gift of a relationship with the one you were created for. If you want that, you can have that. I'm, I'm going to do something that's very different. i never done this before at All People's Church. So some of you guys are like, oh man, what is he going to do? I'm going to actually ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And the reason why I'm doing that is not to manipulate you or to do anything, just but to stay focused. To just stay focused because there's a lot of distractions. And so if you could, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And if you're in... If you want this gift of Jesus, if you want to have this relationship, this restored relationship with your creator and be in this love relationship with a good God who loves you more than you know, who loves you unto death, you could receive this gift this morning on Christmas Eve. I'm going to give a sample prayer. And you could pray this prayer with me and follow after me in your heart or out loud, or you can make it in your own words. But let me kind of just lead you through a sample prayer you could pray if you want to get right with God, you want forgiveness of sins, and receive the gift of Jesus. So it'd be something like this. I'm going to say each line and just pause so you can make it your own and think about it. So with every head bowed, I, I would ask something like this. Dear God, I am a sinner deserving a just punishment. Thank you for sending your only son for me. I believe Jesus died in my place and rose again. Please forgive me of my sin. I trust that you forgive and love me. I give up my life and surrender to you as my king. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Now help me follow and grow into these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer or a version of that prayer, myself and any other member of this church would love to talk to you more about that. What it means to follow Jesus, be part of his family, and join in his great mission of redeeming and rescuing the whole world. We'd love to welcome you into that. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe for that thousand, thousand I can't even say thousands time. You fill that in. I have a problem with S's sometimes. You come talk with us. We'd love to pray with you more. And let me just call the rest of you as the band comes up. For the rest of you guys who are followers, active following Jesus, let us be like Eliezer, going to all kinds of peoples, even in foreign places, to tell the glories of our master Jesus. To tell him, tell on the mountain the good news of who Jesus is. I'm going to pray for you, 
And then I'm going to give some, there's going to be a few slides to give some instructions on how we're going to transition to the next part of our gathering. But let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. During Christmas, it can be so trite and obvious and we can be numb to it. But oh my word, God, you would give us your only son and Jesus, you would willingly come to us to love us. And you would die for us as ungrateful and undeserving we are. You would love us unto death. Thank you, Jesus, for Christmas as a reminder of what you have done and that the oppression and the sufferings of this world will not have the final say that when you come back, you will destroy death and sin once and for all. No more cancer, no more divorce, no more sin or shame or abuse, all, of, all wrongs will be made right when you return. And so what great hope we have. Those of us who are hoping in you, Jesus, on Christmas, no matter how broken our families are, have the greatest hope, the greatest anchor. And if anyone here doesn't have Jesus, truly know Jesus as their greatest gift and their way to be right with God, would you impress upon their heart and woo their heart, Holy Spirit, and show them that you want them, yes, even them, in their sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for living for us. And thank you for rising. And thank you that you are coming again. In Jesus' name, amen.